Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. Calling all new and emerging content creators in BC and Alberta. In case you haven't heard of StoryHive, they've been supporting storytellers in Western Canada since 2013. This year, they're celebrating their 10th anniversary and their biggest edition yet. The StoryHive Anniversary Documentary Edition is funding 80 short documentaries on any local story you're passionate about. You could get $20,000 in production funding, training, and mentorship, and distribution on Telesoptic TV and Stream Plus. If you live in BC or Alberta and you have an idea for a short documentary, now's the time to send your pitch. Send your applications by February 28th to storyhive.com slash apply. Your story, your narrative. So, you know, sometimes your car needs some maintenance. Yeah, it's part of owning a car. Yeah, you you take it in, you get the oil changed, get a little bit of, like, routine service done. They check the things, measure some stuff. Top up your washer fluid, what have you. And you do that, like, once every, like, couple seasons. You do it, like, in the spring and maybe in the fall or maybe in the winter, you know. Yeah. Yeah. At least once a year. Depending on what it is, sometimes twice. Maybe right? twice. Yeah. Um, usually you like you drive into the little oil change. Some some places have the like the quick lube area where you just drive in and they like crawl under your car and they do the thing where you just sit there and read a newspaper or something. <laughs> but usually speaking, unless you're getting like extensive service done, you're like getting the full meal deal. You ordered like, one of everything the, off the, the menu. The gold star service. Yeah. Right? You're, you're only there for like a half hour or so, right? Yeah, give or take. Yeah, yeah. probably. Eight hours. <laughs> I know. Took eight hours for my car to get basic service done. <laughs> All you needed was like an oil change and like some checks. Yeah. To <laughs> just like make sure the filters aren't all full of like crud. And it took eight <laughs> hours. To be fair, the actual service part probably took 45 to one hour, but it had to wait for seven hours for someone to be available to do that. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to name names because I don't mean to shame a dealership. And this was the first time I had used this dealership. I I used to drive all the way to the north end of the city. We live very south side, like a half hour, 40 minute drive to go to the dealership I had purchased the vehicle at because I knew that they had a good service area. They were equipped to deal with my plug-in hybrid. Well, yeah, because you bought the car from there. One would assume that they were equipped to look after it. But they do have a sister location on the south side. It's much closer to home. And I figured, you know what, let's give them a try this time. And they were happy to handle my vehicle. And they were absolutely swamped. (laughs) The day that I had booked a 9-15 appointment, it took until 5 before my car was done. Bonkers. Absolutely nuts. I feel so bad for them. Like, to be that slammed that it takes them all day to get to their 9 o'clock appointment. Yeah. I feel bad for anyone who was booked in after that. Yeah. Because they probably had to leave their car overnight. Yeah. Like, imagine you had an appointment for, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They did not get to your car. No, not at all. The good news is this particular dealership was also walking distance from my office. And while I have been mostly working from home the past few years, I just walked over and I had brought my laptop and I used my office terminal because I figured, well, you know, I'll probably just be in the office for the morning. I can grab some lunch on my way home, spend the afternoon at home. Nope. Was in the (laughs) office all day. All day. So that's just kind of how that worked out. But 
it happens. At least you were understanding about it and didn't like yell oh, and yeah. scream no, at no. them for taking forever. Absolutely not. They they were servicing my vehicle. They did an excellent job at it when they finally got to it. And I didn't need my vehicle for the day. It wasn't that much of an inconvenience, but it still was very surprising to me that it took them eight hours to do like a 30 minute service on my vehicle. That is a really long time. Yeah. Like, they must have been very slammed. Although, to be fair, if you book your car in on a day when you know you need your car later, that's kind of on you. Yeah. Speaking of things that take longer than people were maybe hoping they would. <laughs> Torres and his team are still on this <laughs> island. Still. It's been, what, two days now? Three? Uh, Two, I believe. We've had two sleeps. We've had two sleeps? We slept on the ground and then we slept in the Dwarf Fortress. Oh, yeah, because they ate in the realm of yeah, but they had like They, they had ate lunch. with Arker, but, but that was lunch, yeah. right? They didn't crash there. And yeah. then they got okay. ambushed on the way to the castle, and they spent the night at the Dwarf Fortress. And the, right. the previous night, they had spent roughing it on the ground. So, yeah, we've had two full days. We're on day three. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I know where we are. I know well, what's going on. Good, because we're going to briefly recap our previous chapter, in which Addie wakes up to find out that the mercenaries have broken out commandeered a workshop and are in the middle of building their own version of the ring so that they can take over the island for themselves and shut this thing down. You're forgetting the really important part. And then Tess takes Addie to go and meet a dragon. Yeah! I was getting to it. There was a chronology of events. <laughs> Addie has a, a nice little time playing with the puppy dragon and then puppy has a little, a little heart to heart with both uh, Torres and Tess before they head back to the door fortress and we head into chapter 19 of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. So the mercenaries have completed their anti-ring, which is what Addie will think of it as. Yeah, it's an apt title, I think. It's basically what it is. And they're now putting together a little expedition to basically head up into the hills to where there is essentially like a power junction. Yeah, which, more which or less. Which they're going to use to tap into the, the systems of the island, get their ring working, and take down the shield. They don't need to be in Tor Camelot. That's just where the control room is. If they can bypass Tor Camelot entirely, hack the whole island from a power junction, take down the shield... They can call up Harris Lang on their satellite phone. Right. At that point, they can just phone for reinforcements. This is Han Solo shutting down the shield, right, so that everybody can come in. That's what we're doing. We're returning of the Jedi right here. Maybe a little closer to Obi-Wan turning off the tractor beam so that they can get off the Death Star, because they're actually on the island. Yeah, that's yeah, that's apt as well. Yes. But uh, but I, I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah. This is. I'm just making a Star Wars parallel here. Yeah. But yeah, okay, I'm with you. I mean, Star Wars is basically a fantasy story. It's got wizards and swords. Yeah. It's It's a fantasy story. Yeah. Just happens to be in space. Oh, yeah, we all know that. Yes. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. So regardless of what the Star Wars parallel is to what's going on, <laughs> this is their plan. And the current bickering that's going on is that Torres has essentially told Tess and Arthur that they're both welcome to come along and help. And this is degenerated into Tess and Arthur just bickering with each other over how they got into this situation in the first place. And they're both just like pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, Taurus is just sitting back like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to let them fight it out. And I'm just going to soak up as much information as they're going to spit out at each other. Yeah. And Addy does note that Torres also hasn't brought up the fact that Tess is apparently a corporate spy. So he's also keeping that in his back pocket at the moment. 
Yes. Tess is basically like, Arthur could have gotten into the castle at any time. He's the production head here. This is all on him that he hasn't done anything about this. And he's like, you could have come to me at any time and we could have worked together to like circumvent whatever Dominic Brand is up to. And Tess is like, oh, well, you didn't want to upset Dominic Brand because you were worried he was the golden boy. And it's just back and forth and back and oh, forth. D- bickering like a bitter old divorced couple. Kind of, yeah. And Addie is kind of half paying attention to this. And then something, something like a penny drop happens for her and she kind of cuts into the conversation getting kind of a glare from everybody uh with where did you get like a lot of the source material for the stuff you're working on how far back are you working from have you read like the icelandic sagas that tolkien borrowed from have you uh looked at some of the original source material for robin hood or for king arthur stories like what are you operating on and she gets answers which suggest something a little more closer to the present yeah. Like Robin Hood's like, I watched some Errol Flynn movies. And of course, I've seen Foxy Robin Hood, the Disney version. <laughs> um, and He's like, oh, of course, Foxy Robin Hood. And Tess actually gets indignant and is like, are you gatekeeping us? Are you saying we're not allowed to be as big a nerd as you are, Dr. Addie Cox? And Addie kind of like deflates at that point and doesn't press it. But I think I get where she's coming from. Oh, good. Because I was going to ask. I'm not sure where she was going with this. I wish she'd been able to finish. Yeah, I think that it's a half-formed thought for her, and it hasn't quite, like, fully gestated, and she's going to maybe comment on it later on as well. Oh, I hope so. But I think I know where she's going, and I think what she's saying is she's not questioning their nerd cred. They're obviously all big nerds. They're obviously all very passionate and obsessed about the stuff that they're passionate and obsessed about. Yeah. But what she's saying is they're not just nerds though they're authors they're writing the narrative of this island and they haven't done the research and that's why a lot of their stuff is maybe derivative okay and why it's kind of sort of falling apart yeah not not the physical things like it's not i'm not talking about like shoddy workmanship i'm talking about upholding the facade well upholding the facade and maybe also creating a, a cohesive world yeah but they're they're all working from their own little bases of knowledge but they haven't gone any deeper than that and if you're a writer in theory you should be doing your homework right if you're going to write about a thing you should know about the thing yeah and what she's saying is maybe they don't know enough and i think that from the perspective of a literary professor she's beginning to grok to the idea that they don't know as much as they think they know their working knowledge of how this island should be is based on a pop culture derivative yeah. of something older. It's based on modern pop culture. Yeah. As opposed to the source material. For yes. It. She's basically suggesting maybe as authors, you should have looked further. But she doesn't, I don't think that, that that's fully formed in her mind yet. It's something that she started to recognize. Yes, okay. But then to what end? To criticize them. Oh, <laughs> to well, criticize no. the work that they're doing. I'm going to let that sit. I'm going to let that sit in my brain for a little bit. Because I genuinely did want to know where she was going with that. I didn't think the same way you did. I could be wrong. But from a literary professor standpoint, my thinking is that she's beginning to recognize that there's a surface level understanding of the material they're working with, but nothing deeper than Mm -hmm. that. And that that makes this whole project, Insula Mirabilis, very shallow. That's actually the word I was thinking of, that this whole thing is actually quite shallow. I could be mistaken. I'm happy to be proven wrong in a future chapter when she finally finishes the thought, but 
I think that's where she was headed. She kind of gets deflated by Tess, like calling her out as gatekeeping, which I don't think was her intention. No, I don't think it was either. I think Tess is just on edge and being super defensive about everything. Oh, absolutely. She's scared out of her pants right now. Because she's covering her butt, which Addie thinks very loud in her mind, but doesn't actually say uh, once or twice in this chapter. Yeah. There's also a really funny line where Tess is like, what are you talking about? This is real life. And the absurdity of Tess's statement yeah. is completely lost on her. And Addie's like, are you listening to yourself? Like, yeah. did you hear what you just said? Did you hear what you just said? Did you hear dwarven, the words? Dwarven queen on a fantasy island talking about real life? Oh, honey, no. So the team finally stops bickering. Uh, Tess brings along one of her engineers. Ike. Ike, the engineer. <laughs> Ike, the dwarf. <laughs> and Arthur takes along Robin Hood. They join up with the mercenaries and they begin the trek up the hills along the coast towards this uh, power junction. And along the way, Addie kind of has some time to think a little bit, but then kind of Rucker sidles up next to her. I was so proud. <laughs> and he's like, so, uh, Professor, um, you were talking about like, like the source material for a lot of the stuff that they're working with. And... You know, Torres says, is like, you know, if we're going into a situation, you should learn as much about that situation as you know. So I'm just like thinking maybe I, I could read some of those books. And Addie, to her credit, is like, you're probably never going to encounter another situation quite like this one. <laughs> quite like this one. And he's like, you never know, right? I think on one level, he recognizes he's woefully out of the loop in the pop culture that's going on here. Yes. And is curious about some of it and maybe wants to learn a little bit more about some of it. On another level, legitimately maybe is kind of having fun a little bit. <laughs> maybe. And wants to learn a little bit more about it. If that is the case, he is 100% putting it underneath the guise of just wanting to be a better soldier. Yes. And that is absolutely what he's couching. Which is fine. Because I think he's a little embarrassed. Probably. To just come out and say, hey... I'm kind of curious about where the unicorns and the wargs yeah. and the and the dwarves come from. And I think what could I check up on? About he's that? a little bit sheepish about the fact that he doesn't know these things. Yeah, because yes, Rucker's the muscle, right? Mm -hmm. He's the big dumb heavy. He's their barbarian. Yeah. yeah, but he doesn't want to be limited by that. No, right? He's trying to be the best Rucker he can be. Exactly. And he's a little embarrassed by that. And Addie, who is. At her heart, uh, professor of literature yes. is like, I'll send you a syllabus. Oh, I'll um, get you hooked up. I'm going to hook you up with some great stories. I will pick things you like. I promise there will be lots of fighting. Yeah. And she doesn't she, say that last part. In but... her mind, she's like, oh, he's going to love Odysseus. Like, <laughs> I will send you some crazy stuff, man. Uh, and she's weirdly proud of him. And then she's like, oh, what would it be like to put together a D&D &D campaign with these mercenaries? I need to set up a D&D &D campaign with these mercenaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would think that. Yep. That's my Addy. Something else that comes up, I, I forget if it's right before they trek off or while they're on their way, they're talking about Dominic. Oh, yes. This is actually just before they set out, too. Yeah, okay. And there was this this weird air talking about Dominic. Like, somehow he's the distant big bad, right? Yeah, Tess and Arthur certainly kind of perceive him that way. And Addy brings up a really good point. She was like, Dominic wouldn't hurt anybody. And they all kind of stop and look at her. Why are they afraid of Dominic? Why are they talking about him like this? Well, and Dominic maybe wouldn't intentionally hurt someone, but there are 10 dead people. Yeah. Addie might not think that fear of Dominic is founded in anything, mm -hmm. but these people obviously 
are. They know Dominic in a different context than she does. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we, we have a case of people not knowing the same things that other people know. And people not knowing the same person other people think they do. Right? Yeah. So they're, if not outright afraid of him, they're clearly put on edge, a little nervous, and they're embarrassed about that. Because her comment, like, doesn't shut them down. It actually generates a bunch of, like, almost pitying looks. And she's like, oh, they think I'm naive. They think they know Dominic better than I do. And they might. And they might. We don't know who knows who better. Further to this, a couple times during this chapter, Addie has a little time to think. Because she also believes they're maybe getting towards the end of their, their quest here. And spoiler alert, they're not. Um, <laughs> there is still a full like quarter of this book left. She actually thinks like all the framing of this story so far has really painted Dominic as being the big bad. Like everything seems to be pointing at him being the bad guy, but that doesn't quite jive with the Dominic I know. There's something not right about this. Yes, something, right? Something is not sitting right with her about how this is being framed. Mm-hmm. And... She's recognizing there's pieces missing, and she's not completely convinced that Dominic could be the bad guy. And that's not to say he couldn't be. We have ourselves posited multiple theories on what Dominic might be doing, what his motivation might be, and why this is going on. Mm-hmm. But, but we've also posited a couple theories that suggest maybe it's not so clear-cut. Well, as yeah, that. that's that's the key word, might. Exactly. Right? We've proposed possibilities that we've thought of, but there's no concrete anything for us yet as readers, right? And one of our theories might be correct. Maybe. One of our theories about Dominic might be correct. One of our theories about not Dominic might be correct. We just don't know. Or we could be way off base with all of it. Things like how devoted he was to Harris Lang and why would he have betrayed Harris Lang? Like, there's got to be an explanation for that. Either he hasn't or something has happened that made him do it. And both of those would be a mitigating factor in this, right? Yeah. And we just don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. So the note I wrote myself is, like, did no one genuinely consider just talking to him like an adult? Like, has the paranoia gotten that deep? Has it taken hold that strongly? Or has Dominic lost his mind and they can't talk to him? Like, what happened? not mutually exclusive. I know. But pointing towards the first part, that is the case. Tess and Arthur have been bickering for the first part of this chapter over the fact that they weren't communicating, let alone to Dominic, the person they suspect might be behind this. So what you're saying is, yes, the paranoia has taken over and everyone's too afraid to talk to anybody. Yeah. Now it's come to this. Dominic may have done this and he may have had very good reason for doing this. And it might be as clean cut as if Arthur and Tess had just asked him what's going on, he would have spelt it out for them. But Arthur and Tess haven't gone and spoken to him. Because everyone's afraid of everybody else. Because everyone is afraid and suspicious of everyone else. Oh, I would not want to live on this island. Because Harris Lang fostered that. And this is this all points back to him. This is the environment he created on the island. This is a terrible place to work. And because something's gone wrong and nobody trusts anybody, they're all pointing fingers at each other. Yeah, of course. Ugh, this is a terrible place to it's, work. It's not impossible that Dominic has been sitting tight in his elven treehouse thinking that Tess or Arthur is behind this. Yeah. Have you noticed that the lower you are on the hierarchy, the less involved they want to be? Yep. I think the people closer to the bottom, in air quotes, knowing they can't do anything about it, are just happy to... Go along with it? Yeah, live their little lives until they can get out. More or less. Right? I think, like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of that one lady 
who was like in charge of the gardening, right? Who was cooking in the kitchen. Yep. This is my life now. I'm just going to get through this until I'm just going to try to be as happy as I can until I come out on the other side. Well, I think that's what's happening. In I'll point to Robin Hood in this chapter. When Tess and Arthur are bickering up at the junction box, he just kind of like sighs and goes and sits down next to a tree. Yeah, Because right? he's just washing his hands. He's not involved. Nope. Yeah. He's like, you know what? They're going to fight it out and I'm just going to do as be, I'm told. I'm going to be and over here. Yep. When it's all done, I'm going home. I wonder how many people, when they're actually allowed to get off the island, are just going to quit outright. They're just going to go. Yeah. Who knows? Guess we'll have to wait and see. this is actually a very toxic environment to be in. It's a wonderful fantasy world and a terrible environment. Yep. So as we were kind of mentioning the junction box, we do reach that location. Yeah. It is mildly disguised. Eddie catches that, like, the foliage just hasn't quite grown into fully disguised yeah, it yet. Yeah, this is clearly a recent addition because it hasn't been fully incorporated into the immersion yeah. yet, right? Well, and it, I mean, it would be an area off limits. Though if you have guests free roaming on the island. Exactly. Yeah. You still want to hide it, right? If, if, it, if it must be above ground and accessible, you want to at least hide it really well. This turns into another fight between Arthur and Tess because it is padlocked. And Tess is like, well, just you have all the keys to everything on the island, Mr. Lead Project Manager. And he's like, well, I didn't bring my keys to the castle to get ambushed by you. They're back at the, <laughs> they're back in the human town. And she's like, what kind of idiot are you? You were going to the castle. Why didn't you bring your keys? Which, suspicious. A little. Maybe also just forgetful. Well, I don't know. I can't And to tell be fair, him. he knows that there's a password to get into the castle. He might not have needed his physical keys. That's fair. In the castle. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. But at any rate, Torres is just like, uh, forget it. Rucker. And Rucker just pulls out some bolt cutters and snaps the padlock. To the... Like, appalled astonishment yeah. <laughs> of Tess and Arthur and the other uh, employees. Like, you, no, that's against the rules. Like, yeah. dude, they're not playing by your rules. No, they're, they're breaking something on the island. And, and both Tess and Arthur are just like. <gasps> these, these people are so inside the box, they don't even know it. Yep. They're so deep inside this box. And the idea of breaking a rule like that is so abhorrent to them. That they're appalled that somebody cut a padlock. They make their way in, and Wendell begins setting up the anti-ring. There's sparks and cursing and... A lot of cursing, I understand. And discussion. And Addie swiftly gets bored of this and decides to give herself a little bit of space. So she, like, just, takes a just, few steps away just to, like, take in the sun and get some air and kind of collect her thoughts. I'm just going to put my head in my hands right now. And then she spots a glimpse of a unicorn. Addie, no. In the forest. And Girl, why? She immediately goes, I should not split up from the party. Correct. And then also immediately splits up from the party Addie. to go after the unicorn. She follows the unicorn into the woods, into a little glade, and she is absolutely enthralled. It's it's a beautiful creature. She wants to touch it so bad because she had that wonderful experience with the dragon earlier, which kind of primed her for this. Girl, no. So she makes her way over. The unicorn is very approachable. Addie, honey, stop. She goes to pet it, and then it freezes. Addie. Because, of course, it is one of these biomechanical robots, and she is captured by elves. Yes! <laughs> um, obviously elves. They didn't They didn't say that in the text. It is obviously elves. Yeah, no. The, the unicorn was there specifically as bait. Oh, yeah. It was being controlled. It lured her away, and she was captured. I think this is where we're going to meet Dominic, because I think he knows well enough that if he puts a unicorn even remotely close to her, she's going to follow it. Oh, 100%. And he's going to get her. Dominic absolutely played her there. 1,000%. Yeah, and she fell right into his trap. 
Because I'm, of course she did. She cannot help herself. She is physically incapable of helping herself. I have developed this strange parasocial relationship with Addie, like that stupid girlfriend of mine. We're like, why? No, girl, get back here. What are you doing? Have you learned nothing? Like, I'm angry at her like I'd be angry at a friend for doing something dumb that they know yeah. they shouldn't do. That's how I feel about Addie right now. Well, we knew that we were going to meet Dom at some point. It had to happen. We need to hear his side of the story. Yes. It was almost certainly going to be a one-on-one with Addie because that's just the trajectory of their relationship dynamic. And so it makes perfect sense to me that he would capture her. Yep. To separate her from the rest of the group so he can talk to her in private. Yep. Yep. So the question is, is Dom going to win her over or not? I don't know. We're going to have to wait The other question see. is, has Torres learned nothing about Addie? It's been two days. Yeah. She has wandered off and gotten them in trouble how many times? Uh, Four or five. Yeah. In two days. No. He should know better. Don't let her out of your sight. Well, I mean, that's why he ran over in a panic when she was petting the dragon. Yep. Because he had let her out of his sight. Yeah. And he was worried. And now, again, it's happened. Yep. Because she cannot help herself. No. And the second she's not being watched, she goes and sticks her hand in a wall outlet. Yep. Girl. Girl, why? But that is where we end off. That is the cliffhanger. Yeah. With Hattie getting uh, captured, by captured, us. hands over her mouth, bag over her head. She doesn't even get a chance to scream. It's just like, yeah. and off she goes by invisible people. So I assume they have the same cloaking technology that Tess does. Well, here, um, I will say that it's not impossible that it's Tess's people recapturing her so that Tess has uh, an ace in chip? the hole. Mm. That is plausible. Plausible, but I don't think that's likely in this situation. Part of the reason that that is possible is Addie even thinks earlier in the chapter, I'll bet Tess and Arthur's people are going to tail us, even if they weren't invited. Yeah, from a distance, right? But Tess had the opportunity to lock down Addie already, twice. Yep. Once when she had her caught for the night. Yep. And once again, when she split her off from the group to go visit the dragon. Yeah. She had two chances to capture Addie and bag her at that point. Now is a weird time to do it. Right. So it does track to me that it's Dom's people. Yeah. They're making a move. He wants to see Addie. Capture Addie. Split off Addie. Capture Addie. And of course, he would know exactly how to do it. Bait her with a unicorn. This whole island is for her. That's right. And she even thinks like the unicorn looks perfect. It looks exactly how I would imagine a unicorn to look, right? Yep. 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 All signs point to Dom. I'm just saying. So he's probably who we're going to meet next chapter. Or the chapter after. Probably next chapter. Probably next chapter. So we'll see. So you'll want to read up on chapter 20 of our novel in time for next week. And in the meantime, you know, last couple episodes, we've been giving a little shout out to fellow podcasts here on the Alberta Podcast Network. It continues. Exactly. <laughs> Hello and welcome. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And together we host Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. On the show, we explore disasters and their management from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Whether it's our history. Most people in Halifax don't know what the cargo is. And then whammo, vessel explodes. Our society. So we can't really address disasters without looking at who has the decision-making power. Or our hazards. It's virtually impossible for us to provide any advance warning for a landscape tornado. We've got something for everyone because when it comes down to it, disasters are everyone's business. Visit our website at epicpodcast.ca. Follow us on Twitter at epic underscore underscore podcast or subscribe to the Emergency Preparedness in Canada podcast on your favorite app. All this and more on the next episode of Epic Podcast. Current, relevant, Canadian. So yeah, you'll want to check them out. You can also go to albertapodcastnetwork.com. There you'll find links to all of the member podcasts. You'll find more information on many of our sponsors. 
uh, just a great place to go and, and find some new listening material. Yeah, a nice little catalog of entertainment. Indeed. Uh, you can find many of those podcasts likely on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, you could give us a little rating and a review. That oh, would help us out. We would appreciate it, too. Yeah, you can also reach out to us on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those, so we're fairly easy to find. Yeah, you can also send us an email. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Puppy dragon. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 